Welcome to Advancing the Conversation with Dr. Christy Carnahan and Dr. Kate Doyle from the University of Cincinnati's Special Education Department. I'm Ashley Barla, your host. We started this podcast in an effort to have real conversations about the role of self-determination in all our lives, specifically in supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. If you're a teacher, a person interested in becoming a teacher, a parent, a sibling, or a person with a disability, this podcast is for you. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we learn about the role of self-determination in our lives. Amy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start off by just having you introduce yourself to our viewers. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you're researching, et cetera. Okay, great. So I'm Amy Duncan. I'm a clinical psychologist and faculty member at Society Children's Hospital Medical Center. And really my whole clinical and research career has been focused primarily on adolescents and young adults with autism spectrum disorder. And so focusing on how do we help facilitate a successful transition to adulthood. And so a a big piece of that, that I kind of wear two hats in the research that I'm doing. One is we have been working on developing and evaluating a life skills intervention for autistic adolescents who do not have an intellectual disability. So focusing on things like cooking and laundry and managing finances, again, with the goal being that this will help facilitate successful transition to employment and college and independent living. The other hat that I wear, I also develop and evaluate both school-based and clinic-based interventions for middle schoolers with autism with a focus on building executive functioning skills. And, you know, executive functioning encompasses a wide range of skills, but we really focus on planning, prioritizing, managing one's time, but also using effective study skills. So with the goal of increasing academic success at school, but also homework at home, making that a little bit easier for the teen and their family as well. So that's that's a, a little bit about what I do. And I've been working with primarily teens with autism for the last 20 years or so. So I've used that sort of arsenal of clinical experiences as we develop these interventions. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's me. Man, I can't wait to dive into this. Before we do, let's start with a more kind of broad question. And that is, can you define for us self-determination in your words? Yes. And I would say this, this has definitely evolved the more and more I work. And also as I become a parent, I think it's really relevant, but I would say it's, you know, it's a lifelong journey. I think when I started out in the field, I was like, oh, this is primarily for, you know, older adolescents and adults. And I was like, no, it, it really starts, you know, at a young age. And it's this idea of, of kind of developing your sense of self. So what you believe in, what your values are, but also what you're good at, what's hard for you, what's kind of in between. And then as you learn that and about yourself, it, it's directing your own path figuring out where you want to go and and how you want to get there. So there's lots of problem solving and working with others and and pushing yourself down the path that that you want to get. Can you talk a little bit about why you think your view of self-determination has evolved? Yeah, I mean, and I I could probably talk about that for an hour. So I'll do a brief one is that, you know, I think if as a clinician, when I started out, you know, in in this field, I worked primarily with you know, young kids with autism, three, four, five-year-olds, and made this sort of shift to working with primarily 
really college students who were on the autism spectrum. And, you know, what I really saw was that self-determination, this idea that like they're on their own for the first time and have these goals and dreams, but maybe some of those foundation skills are lacking, or maybe they haven't had that chance to be really more independent and make their own choices. And it's like, well, gosh, how do we get how do we get them there, right? So that when they're going to college or getting out into the adult world, you know, they have those set of skills. So it's sort of this aha moment. And it's like, man, we really need to be teaching those skills in childhood and adolescence. And so it was always sort of something, you know, especially in the clinical work I did with like talking with families about that. Like, how do you do that? How do we fade back supports? How do we foster independence? And then I would say, you know, becoming a parent and, you know, I've got three kids and it's like, wow, this really does, you know, start early on, you know, kids come in and want to make their own choices and make decisions. And it's, it's empowering them, but also setting boundaries, giving feedback, knowing when to, when to push and when to support, but also when to kind of let them do it and let them fail and get feedback from that kind of you know, if, if you do forget to turn your homework in, there is a natural consequence for that. But if I always remind you, if I'm always the one checking in, you're not going to get that experience, right? And so that's hard as a parent to do, but I think it's also a really important life skill. And I would say the same is true for, you know, a lot of the adolescents that I work with. It's like, you have to have the opportunity to practice these things to not only learn what you're good at, and what you need to work on, but, but to fail and, and get that feedback in the environment. So definitely an evolution, really kind of just working with different individuals with autism across the lifespan, but then as a parent as well. Amy, it's an, I had such a parallel journey that I always worked with preschool and elementary school when I was teaching. And when I came to UC, started working with young adults. And I had so many ahas of things I would revisit as a teacher now in terms of where I spent my energy and what I cared about, you know, because I know it's, it's overwhelming when you're a teacher, there's so many things to teach, but that was just, I think a duty we have as faculty of teachers, because it's a K-12 license is for our students to really see the lifespan, to gather that understanding. Cause I was the kind of teacher, like I'm never going to teach above eight years old, you know, and even if I had stayed in that journey, it still is beneficial to see where people are ending up and to understand like, it does matter what you work on when they're seven years old, mm-hmm. right? And what you prioritize and what families prioritize. Because I think it's overwhelming for all of us as parents to know what to be prioritizing. Then on top of if you have a child with a disability, just having that conversation, I think it's just, I just had such a similar journey in that and wish I could go back and redo some things I did, but you know Absolutely. better, you do better. Yeah. You know, I tell my clients in my special education practice all the time, we need to start thinking about transition to adulthood yesterday. And we need to be framing so many decisions, if not all of our decisions with that future forward lens. And that's very uncomfortable for parents, but I agree that I think it's super important as well. Amy, I'd love to spend some time talking about executive functioning mm-hmm. because, you know, your work in executive functioning is so broad and so, and, and yet so detailed and really, really important. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how executive functioning, these skills, and you gave a few of the executive functions when you talked about it a moment ago, planning, prioritization, time management, study skills, how those, how our executive functions are 
building blocks that we really need to develop and even teach with that specially designed instruction and with experiences and that sort of thing in order to work toward and to develop our self-determination skills. Yeah. I mean, I, I think executive functioning, you know, really something that has such, such strong implications for things down the road. And I think, you know, more and more, there's this growing awareness of, you know, if, you know, when I'm talking about this with families, I always say, you know, executive functioning is what gets you through the day. Like how you know where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. Do you have all your materials? If someone's got difficulties with executive functioning, you know, thinking about how that would impact your day. Like if I woke up and didn't have my calendar in front of me, I wouldn't know where to go, where to be, mm-hmm. what, you know, who to be talking with. And so I think it's also going back to this idea that executive functioning also starts really early. So this is not something we should just start talking about in adolescence or right. with college students or young adults. It's like, you know, how do we start fostering some of these skills like planning? You know, that can be something like, for a, a preschool age child, it's like, okay, if we're going to give them some simple chores to do, here's three chores, but we know that they don't have the verbal capacity if we list those three things out and the working memory capacity to hold it. So how do we help them remember that, go through it from start to completion to kind of figure out how to do this and what strategies work for them? Is it a list? Is it, you know, a sticker chart when they're younger? Because that translates into those things that they're doing as an adolescent. You know, when you get home and you've got five homework assignments, which one do you do first? Which one's actually important versus maybe what's due in a few days? And how are you going to make sure that you turn it in, that you back to school if it needs to go back to school? All of these things. And so, you know, I think in in working with families, what what we really talk about is that executive functioning are these sets of skills, but we're trying to identify strategies, compensatory strategies. How do we compensate for this difficulty to help the student in this area? So if you struggle with organization and, you know, I I think families know these things. You can get an assessment to figure out, oh, my my child has difficulties with organizing. But I think most of us would know that as as a parent, but there's, there's tools out there. What strategies are going to help them with that? Because that's going to affect home in terms of organizing their materials at home, but also school. And then maybe out in the community, if they're, you know, playing a sport or doing an instrument, whatever it might be. So it's kind of saying, okay, here's the executive deficit, if you will, or impairment, something they struggle with. What's going to be the strategy to kind of help them be successful in those different areas. And so that that's kind of, I guess, over time where I've started. It's, it, it's like, this is something that a lot of us have strengths and challenges in these areas, but how do we help the team figure out what works for them? Because it will likely work for a long time. If a checklist works for mm-hmm. you, that will work for a lot of different things in a lot of different environments. Work, college, at home, you know, making sure your bills are paid, these kinds of things. And so what I what I found, especially as I do my work with daily living skills, is that the executive functioning interventions that work at school for building academic success work at home for building life skills. And, you know, evidence-based strategies for executive functioning really work in a variety of environments. 
That's actually the next question that I was going to ask, because then that does translate into those daily living skills. And so maybe you could talk about, I love how you gave the example of taking planning from preschool tasks through school and then to adult independent living situations or something like that. Maybe you could talk about then how we are simultaneously developing those daily living skills and why it's important to build those kind of in the context of self-determination as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think probably the big tool that I use when we're thinking about, you know, really planning, but also prioritizing because they all often go hand in hand is, you know, a very simple task analysis, right? Where we take a complex skill, like cleaning your room. If we go and tell any child or teen, go clean your room, you know, as a parent or an adult, we we probably know what that means, right? We can say, I want to walk in and I don't want to see anything on the floor and your bed should be made and your clothes should be either in the hamper or put away. But to say that to a child or a teen who has executive functioning challenges, that's overwhelming in itself. Like cleaning your room is very like gray area. And so taking that, and it's going to look different depending on age and developmental level, but saying, okay, when I say clean your room, I mean, make your bed, pick up all the trash and put it in your trash can, dirty clothes go in the hamper and pick up, you know, books are out, they need to go on the bookshelf, right? It's really making a checklist that when we say clean your room, you need to do these five things. And as they get older, it might get more complex. Like we would maybe expect a teenager, like you need to vacuum the rug or carpet in your room. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you bring food into your room, you're going to need to, you know, wipe up your nightstand or dresser because, you know, there's crumbs. So it would become more complex, but it's using that same checklist to help them plan this abstract task of cleaning your room and getting it done from start to finish. Because then when I say, okay, as a parent, I'm coming in to see if you cleaned your room, we can go through that checklist together. That will eventually become automatic. That, that takes time for some teens that might be, you know, doing it four weeks in a row and they've got it. For others, it could be a year of doing Thank it you. every week until they get that down. And that's okay. We just want them to have that support so they can refer back to it when needed. And so that's that's probably the tool when I'm chatting with families, regardless of where they are in terms of, you know, we want to set up, you know, a homework routine. Like, okay, well, when you say homework routine, let's break that down. What do you mean? Okay, sit down at 345, pull out your planner, let's make a list. And so it's that same idea of making a task analysis, but using that as a checklist that, you know, the the child or teen can refer back to and the parent can use to give feedback to talk about what worked and what didn't work, but also, you know, reward them Um, Mm -hmm. because that is them building independence in terms of saying, okay, you can clean a room, your own bedroom, you can clean the kitchen, you can clean the bathroom. Now we can use a task analysis for cooking. A recipe is basically a, a, a task analysis when you break it down we can use that strategy now that we know that it works for you. And that's for parents to have a tool like that in their toolbox or professionals too, is is critical. And for the teen or child knowing, okay, this works for me. I understand what to do when I get a list and I check it off or I go and check it, check in with the adult to let them know I'm 
Amy, I think something that's really important from what you said for teachers and parents to know is that they need explicit instruction on how to make that list or that plan. So often it's perceived as the student is being disrespectful. uh, They're just lazy because they won't do it. Mm -hmm. Frankly, they have no idea how to tackle the task that you have put in front of them. So I think we really need our teachers to understand, our families to understand that a student really may not know how to clean their room. They have like a general idea, but they don't even know where to start. And I even know I get overwhelmed with tasks. And the first thing I do is make a list of what is a baby step I can take that. But for, I just really encourage teachers and professionals to to dig into that a little bit. It sees as we've evolved in our look at self-determination, we were really good at goal setting. Then the last year we really gotten good at teaching planning But listening to some of those students verbalize their plan has really helped me to understand where some of the cognitive component of this is breaking down. So it's been really insightful in terms of intervening when I really listen to their planning and how they're going to get somewhere has made me much more taking the time. It feels like starting slow to go fast really is applicable in this situation. You got to take some time. You got to do something. You got to dig in, but then it's so much quicker in the end to get to where you want to be. Okay. Okay. So two things, Amy, I know we don't have a ton of time, but with you, but Kate, can you dig into that, that that cognitive aspect of planning? Because I think that's the bridge between what Amy's saying, which is we got to give them the list and them becoming self-determined. Can you, will you dig into that for a second, Kate, and then kick it for Amy, either one? Yeah. Yeah. So we have really, again, it's this piece of when I go back to like the wrong things I did when I was a teacher, I think I did a lot of good things, but there are also some things that I would revisit and do again. And I think I just would have given the student the plan and I just would have been do this. Right. And now I would be, and sometimes that's where you have to start, right. With some students. Yes. We have the luxury of pausing and saying, how do you think you're going to get there, right? And what is that plan and helping them build that? Because really we recognize taking the time to do that is building a skill that then they're going to hopefully apply overlay to other things in their life, right? So taking the time, like what is your plan, how you're going to get there and then helping them recognize what some of the barriers are. Like, you know, a lot of students will come in and say, you know, I want to be a, everyone wants to be a millionaire YouTuber, right? And so it's like, how do we kind of parse this down into a plan that we can do in 13 weeks and help them recognize, A, that all the assets and strengths they have to work with, right? They got a family supporting them. They, you know, they live on a public transportation line Two, maybe there are some barriers around some things. So kind of digging in to help them really look at what things they can do, where are some of the barriers and work around that, but just taking the time to help them figure out that plan and not solving it for them. Amy, can you then make that direct bridge? Because I think that's like that link that for us in your mind, that bridge from executive function to becoming self-determined. Yeah. I mean, I I think a big piece of it is, is you're like, I think a big piece of self-determination is this idea of being independent, right? And fostering that independent. And I feel like mm-hmm. parents and school professionals, that's a piece of what needs to be done, right? And if you've got challenges with planning and you don't have a tool to help you work around that, you're not going to be successful. Like with the example of life skills, you're not going to be able, if someone says clean your room or make a snack after school or, you know, getting out the door in the morning, 
that is always going to be hard. And the parent is going to be providing support, whether it's, you know, they mean to or not. And we're doing, you know, and I get them when they're teens, it's like the teens, no one wants to learn how to cook or do laundry or clean your room if your parents been doing it for you, right? I mean, it's not fun. Like these are not fun skills, but if we give them the tools, they can do it. And then what you see is there is this level of like intrinsic kind of excitement about being independent yes. on your own when you can do it. Like I just cooked, you know, fajitas for the whole family, which is a complex thing. And that might've taken time to get there, but we've got the recipe where we plan it all out. You know, we've walked through the steps and modeled it and gotten feedback. And it's, it's really kind of setting them up to become more independent. And I think the same is even things like with studying when we're working on studying skills with students, it's, it's like, how do we make a successful plan for you for learning these vocab words? Mm -hmm. Here it is. We've developed it. We've talked about it. And then you put it into action and you get that good grade. That's positive feedback. So in this way, you're fostering them like, okay, I can do this. Yes. Gives them the motivation to move forward and take on harder tasks and get better at the things that they're working towards. And so it's definitely some some work, right? Putting this plan together, like Kate was saying, but well worth it in that they are going to be more likely to say, I got this, I can do this on my own. And parents can step back. I think mm -hmm. parents need to see that too. Like, oh, they can do this. And it's like, absolutely. But let, we have to give them the tools. It's mm -hmm. not just going to be, you know, do this and, you know, figure out how to get out the door from waking up and you've got 40 minutes go, it's like, oh no, we need like, we need some things in place. And then they will be able to do that. And that's mm -hmm. the goal. And take those tools and then set their own goal. It's no longer yeah. us saying you need, the goal is to learn how to cook. It transitions yeah. into what now do you want to do? Or what have right. you, that never would have been open. My eyes wouldn't have been opened. I could do that because I didn't even have any small skill near that yes. before. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of it is they don't think of it. Like a lot of families that I work with, they're like, you know, well, I pack his lunch every day for him. And I'm like, well, why? Like they can do that. Like, let's mm -hmm. teach them how to do that. And it's like, you know, here's, let's give them a menu of things they can make, teach them how to pack it. And then they're on their own. And then that then translates into, okay, they can also maybe scramble eggs or make the grilled cheese for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they can make dinner once a week for the family. And then as an adult, they're doing that every day. Uh, and so it's those steps. It's like, once we have things that work, you can kind of see the trajectory of like, this skill set goes from all the way into adulthood and, and they get to be involved in that and make those goals. Man, Amy, you are speaking our language. This is such, <laughs> such good stuff. We like to wrap up here with some, a little bit of fun. So our first fun question for you is what are you reading right now? Oh gosh, I'm a big reader. So I just, I just finished it two nights ago. It's a book by Emma Straub called This Time Tomorrow. I love time traveling books, like not like just more like Time Traveler's Wife and Midnight Library. So it was a good one. Uh, Amy, yeah. have, you read, have you read The Secret Life of Addie LaRue? Yes, it was oh, so good. <laughs> Christy hates it. I <laughs> cannot get into oh, it at all. It one of my favorite it. books of all time. Yes. I, I was so time traveler's wife. I'm going to have to read these. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'll add them so. to my good reads. What about TV? <laughs> what are you watching? Uh, we are, we were, we just finished Yellowstone. So now we're watching the prequel 1883, mm -hmm. which is 
you know, like Oregon Trail come to life. So it's awesome. Cool. And then what about listening? What are you listening to? We are big Lumineers fans. So we're still listening to the Bright Side album, their newest one. Yeah. So favorite band. Yeah. Love it. Hey, Katie, what are you listening to? Oh, I, I, Christy and I share a real similar interest in uh, podcasts, which, so I would have to en- uh, echo all of those things I'm listening to. I saw the Lumineers for the first time, Amy, this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. music fan. So uh, yeah. what music are you listening to? Kate? What's that again? What music are you listening to? Oh, well, I've officially reached the point of being old and don't know what songs my kids listen to anymore. <laughs> And they, there's something on Sirius Radio called TikTok Radio, which is the actual full version of all the TikTok songs, okay. which I'm not really proud that I know all of them. but Because usually my kids, I just hear it in snippets when they're sitting next to me. So I love it. entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Well, now you can dance in the grocery store. You know, I you got to learn those TikTok dances. Fully mortify my children, I mean. Oh, my God. I Absolutely. love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much for joining us. This has oh, been a real no. joy. Thank, thank you. you. This is a lot of fun. So yeah. thanks, Amy. It's good, good to see you. And see you. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. If you are interested in learning about the University of Cincinnati's special education, undergraduate or graduate programs, please visit us at online.uc.edu backslash special education. If you are interested in learning more about our programs for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, please visit cech.uc.edu backslash ATS. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at advancetheconversation at uc.edu.